My name is Anne, and I'm the vicar here, for those of you who don't know me. And it's an absolute joy to welcome all the guests uh, who are here this morning for the Roland family. And such a joy, and great to hear from you guys as well about the weekend away. So we are continuing. This is the second in our series, which is called Controversial Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we're looking at the challenging aspects of Jesus' teaching and his life and seeking to put them into practice in our own lives. What Jesus did and said was very much counter the culture of his day. And that's just as true today in our culture. And I'd recommend you have a listen to Tim's introductory talk that's available on our website, and that will give you the full scope of where we're heading. Today, we're looking at the subject, honouring one another. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Now, as we think of the culture today, I think this is really one of those statements in the Bible that is very counter our culture, isn't it? Honour, a definition of honour. Honour is the recognition of the value, contribution and importance of others. It means to esteem, to hold in high regard, to respect others. And as we look around today, there's a lack of honouring. There's a default, that's what I notice. We can see it in politics, uh, we can see it in social media platforms, kind of Twitter tends to stand out on that. We can see it in sport. Uh, on Friday, I was able to watch two significant football matches. Uh, obviously, I'm with you, England, even though I'm Scottish, you know, I'm still trying to support you in this endeavour. And uh, I watched also the last half hour of the uh, Wales match. And it really struck me because the uh, goalkeeper, Wayne Hennessy, was sent off for a reckless challenge. Uh, rightly sent off for a reckless challenge. But the pundits afterwards focused entirely on that sending off. And they completely ignored what he'd done five minutes early earlier, which was to pull off an outstanding save, which kept Wales in the match. And I thought, hmm, there it is, right there. It's the critical thing that has been pulled out, rather than the honouring of an absolutely amazing save. So, I'm moving smoothly now from sport to a quote from Mother Teresa. <laughs> Here we go. We've grown so used to each other that some think they are free to say anything to anybody at any time. They expect others to bear with their unkindness. Why not first try to hold your tongue? You know what you can do, but you do not know how much the other can bear. Imagine if Twitter was full of comments of commendation instead of condemnation. Imagine 
if we use this verse, Romans 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Imagine if we use that. Huge amounts of the Bible are about honoring God and honoring one another. And there was a really excellent talk at the New Wine Summer Conference by John Tyson, who's the leader of the Church of the City in New York. And he talked about the reality that part of honoring God is honoring other people. And he covered a whole range of different aspects of honoring God. This morning, we've just got time to look at two of those aspects. And these are key teachings from Jesus around attitude and action. So let's look at the first one, which is around attitude. And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not judge. The Bible commentator Tom Wright says here, Jesus is referring not to official law courts, but to the judgment and condemnations that occur within ordinary lives as people set themselves up as moral guardians and critics of one another. And Jesus tells what is probably his first joke. It's a very amusing story, isn't it? As you kind of visually imagine a plank coming out of somebody's eye. If you take my arm here as a plank. And as you try and reach towards somebody with that plank coming out, in fact, what would happen, the effect of that is you'd end up whacking them on the head, wouldn't it? As you try and take the speck out of their eye. That kind of image of thumping people across the head with a plank. I think that really does speak to what we see around now and counters what we see coming straight from the Twitter zone. And I want to pose the question for us this morning. Why are we so quick to judge? Is it perhaps an issue of control? That comes from the many times Jesus confronted the Pharisees, the religious elite of the time where they thought they were in control, he counted them and said, God is in control. Perhaps our desire to judge comes from an attitude of entitlement, focusing on my rights, or putting ourselves in the place of being moral guardians of others. Does it come from a place of trying to prove ourselves, comparison? And the counter to that is God's grace. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. These attitudes of judgment change 
when we realize that we are accepted by God, even with all our faults, selfish behaviors. As the song says, we're accepted, forgiven, redeemed by God's grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. What we've seen this morning in the baptisms is a family saying they know they're accepted by God. What James and Nathan shared, they know they're accepted by God. And knowing we're accepted by God changes attitude. We're uh, having an Alpha course at the moment in, in my home, and one guest on Alpha commented on generosity. He'd noticed that the followers of Jesus he'd met are authentically interested in people by the way they listen to people. Knowing we're accepted by God changes attitude from judging others to valuing people, giving others recognition, honoring others above ourselves. So that is the attitude change that comes from knowing we're accepted by God. Let's move now into the practical action Jesus recommends. And this speaks to the question, how do we honor one another when someone hurts you or sins against you? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Matthew chapter 18, 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So this is clear teaching on how to resolve conflict and disagreement. Jesus says, take the situation to the person themselves. So that speaks very much against gossip. So, I mean, often it's really tempting, isn't it, when somebody hurts you, is to take that hurt to a different friend and say, oh, look what this person's done. And, and um, you know, if you're a Christian, to then say, oh, and could you pray about this for me? But actually what that does is spread the offense because the friend takes offense on your behalf. It doesn't help to get to resolution. It magnifies the original situation. So the practical action that Jesus recommends takes courage because it's going to the person themselves. Now, before I do that, the first thing I do is to check that I haven't got a massive plank coming out of my own eye. What do I mean by that? So I ask myself the question, am I upset or annoyed by somebody's actions? Because in reality, God is showing me something about my life that needs to change and that I need to turn from. So, you know, perhaps the reason that the driver that has just cut me up on the road and I'm getting annoyed about, 
perhaps the reason they've done that to me is because I've just done it to them. It was a big shock when I first uh, became a vicar uh, when I wore my dog collar when I was driving. Pedestrians used to step out in front of the car, assuming that a vicar would stop for them. It's not quite in the highway code of how you crossroads. And certainly this vicar, who was trying to get somewhere, thought, oh, heavens, I better slow down. And I started wearing a scarf whenever I wore a dog collar <laughs> to try and <laughs> prevent any accidents happening like that. So, yeah, you know, is my behaviour on the road is actually because, you know, somebody's reacting to mine? Okay, well, I need to change my behaviour before I go anywhere near getting into road rage and telling them what they're doing wrong. That's where I need to get the plank out of my eye. However, if I thought and prayed and thought, oh, Lord, actually, I do need to go and talk to that person, then it's arranging to have a chat with them. And I absolutely love John Tyson's advice at this point. He says, start with saying, you're here to resolve some conflict. But before I want to talk about that situation, I want to honor you. I want to value you. And say positive things to that person about who they are. I think this is really excellent because it, it means that before you go and see the person, you're taking the time and trouble to think positively about them. You're not simply obsessing about the issue. And it means that you're starting from a place of honor. And then you're bringing the situation of conflict. And this applies to everything from gripes, grumbles, mistakes, selfishness, to serious stuff too. Quoting Tom Wright again. If someone else has been offensive, aggressive, bullying, dishonest or immoral, nothing whatever is gained by trying to create reconciliation without confronting the real evil that's been done. Forgiveness doesn't mean saying it didn't really happen or it didn't really matter. Now, I suppose I need to also just bring some exceptions into this. There may be some situations that have been so damaging to you personally that it's impossible to go straight to the person. In those situations, then it's important to access professional help along with the prayer and support of community around you. When harm has been caused to you or another person, then the process that we and all other churches have is the safeguarding process. And of course, that's very different. You go to somebody in authority. You go to Tim or myself or your Barnabas community leader or our safeguarding officer, Alison, to talk through what the situation is. So I think you understand that in this reconciliation bit, I'm not talking about the safeguarding process. That's a separate thing that we need to, to do. So the next step that Jesus uh, describes is if you've talked to the person and they haven't heard you, then that's the point to bring in two or three other people into the mix. Then you need to bring it to the church. And in those days, that was small house churches. And then if the person still doesn't hear you, then treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. Um, that means somebody who's not part of that community. But I want to emphasize that with that last comment, how did Jesus relate to tax collectors and pagans? Well, he ate with them. He continued to interact. So that's the process that Jesus describes. Let's go back to that first stage, that moment where you know that you have to seek out a person 
to say this is what's happened. And what I have found nine times out of ten is that when I raise the situation, in fact, there's been a simple misunderstanding. And the person didn't mean the action or, the, or the, what they've said. And we're just able to resolve it because there's a misunderstanding. What about the other time, the one out of ten times, when there has been hurt being caused, when somebody has sinned against me? Well, then, that's the moment to step into apology and forgiveness. As Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it's the work of Jesus that makes this possible. It makes it possible to forgive. The attitude change that we heard about earlier and the courage to act arises from the work of Jesus. I wouldn't want you to think that this is something that you can make happen on your own. It needs to be from receiving the gift of grace that is Jesus. I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm loved by the true and living God. Forgiveness comes from that place. And here's an outstanding example of forgiveness, and it comes from the life of Corrie ten Boom. She was an amazing Dutch Christian who during the war hid, along with her family, hid Jewish people from the Nazis. And she was caught and arrested as was her father and her sister. And they were taken to concentration camps. Her father died and her sister Betsy, who went with her to Ravensbrück, died also in that concentration camp. But amazingly, Connie survived. And after the war, she went around just talking about forgiveness, the message of forgiveness. One time in 1947, she was in a church in Munich, and when she'd finished her talk, this man came up to her, and she recognized him as one of the guards in Ravensbrück concentration camp. He didn't recognize her, but she recognized him, and she could remember his cruelty. He came up to her and said, thank you for your message, Wonderful message about forgiveness. I've become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me. I want you to know that you forgive me. And he stuck out his hand and he said, shake my hand as a sign that you've forgiven me. Corrie said, she just, well, all the memories of her sister dying, the cruelty came back into her head. She wrote this. I stood there and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It's a remarkable story. Corrie ten Boom had learned to submit her will to God, to be obedient to that command, forgive others, no matter what she was feeling. And when she reached out her hand, the change that came into her heart and the love of God flooded through her and towards the guard. I see, I understand that she couldn't have created that feeling of love. It was a gift of God to her in that moment. I had a situation in my workplace where I was undermined by a colleague for about two years. There was nothing I could do about it at the time. It left me pretty worn out, low in confidence, even after they'd moved jobs. Every time I thought about that person, it hurt and I was angry. I knew I needed to forgive that person. As Nikki Gumbel says, if you hold on to a grudge, it's like letting that person live rent-free in your head. So though it was unlikely I'd see them again, I started to pray actively. God, I forgive them. And more than that, I pray success on their life, fruitfulness, love in their lives. It took about 18 months. But the day did come when I suddenly realized that the shift had happened. I had forgiven them. I could tell that because I thought of them normally without the hurt and anger, but simply with the love of God. It took me a lot longer than Corrie ten Boom, but I know it was the same gift of God to me. And that gift is the gift of Jesus to the world. Jesus stepped onto earth from heaven as we approach Christmas, that's what we remember, we reenact in our nativity plays. The incarnation, God becoming human by being born in challenging circumstances, living an extraordinary life, showing what it was to live in relationship with God. And then on the cross, Jesus revealed what true love is. It's not just a feeling. Love involves more than words, it involves actions. And Jesus showed us the supreme example of love by sacrificing himself for you and for me. Jesus on the cross said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Why do we forgive? We forgive because we've been forgiven. Why do I forgive? It's because I've been forgiven. And this is really, really good news. We're living from a place where we know we're forgiven frees us from guilt or shame. Guilt is feeling bad about the stuff we do. Shame is feeling bad about who we are. And Jesus bore our guilt and our shame. And you never need to feel bad about yourself in that sense because you are loved, accepted. Your worth is what you're worth to God. And what you're worth to God is that Jesus died for you. 
You're so infinitely valuable to God. So as I finish, I'm going to leave us with three questions to consider. And then Tim will come and lead us on in our response. Have you become aware of a plank in your own eye? Is there someone that you're judging? Is there a situation you need to resolve? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Or simply, and most importantly, do you need to know that God accepts you, forgives you? It's only from that place that we can extend forgiveness to others. Let's take a moment in the quiet now to reflect on what I've shared. Come, Holy Spirit, reveal the love of God to each one of us here.